Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Taya. Uh, Taya Transcends on Twitter or on Blue Sky. Uh, pronouns are she, her, or they, them. I want to say thank you for joining, and thank you to the Grinding Coffee Company for always being here to help keep us in, uh, keep Hobbs caffeinated, keep us going, um, sponsoring our giveaways during our um, charity streams and other events that we run. And um, also want to welcome our special guests again, uh, having uh, having her back to talk about the Wild of Eldraine story. It's uh, Kate Archinette-Rivero. Thank you for coming on the show again. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's honestly, I've been looking forward to talking about this set for quite some time. So I'm very much looking forward to this. That's great. Yeah, I was very excited to see that you already had more story coming out so soon it was fantastic love your love your writing so it was great to have you back um you get to you know kind of uh get to be reoccurring a magic writer yeah it's uh add that to your your resume i never thought i would be here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's very exciting, and it's honestly, every time that I get asked to do a magic project, it's just such a blessing. And yeah, you know, there's always a part of me that's like, oh my god, is is this the last one? If it's the last one, then I want to put everything I have into this and make sure that you know this is an incredible work that I'm proud of and that I'll be happy with as a legacy in the world of magic. And then they hit me up again, I'm like, oh boy, I get to do it again! <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I would be so excited to. That's. Yeah, I just getting to come back and do more each time and getting to do something different. Because that's the thing with this IP. There's just so much different stuff you can do. And and this is definitely a completely different vibe than your last uh, project. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is in a lot of ways, although having the continuity of me being the writer on March of the Machine and also on Wilds of Eldraine meant that we were able to tackle some recurring themes throughout, which I thought was really cool. Um, specifically, issues of trauma come oh, up yeah. in both. So, you know, it's, it's different. Definitely get into different. that. Yeah, I, I'm sure. <laughs> so one thing we haven't covered yet, and it's our, you know, we always have our opening question. And I thought being, you know, Wild of Eldraine, it'd be a good time to just ask, you know, what's your favorite fairy tale? Mine, I'm, I had to think about this for a while. I, I don't know. It, it's really, I, I had trouble coming up with, a single favorite one. I I've never been a huge fairy tale person, although we do have to say I've enjoyed these these fairy tale themed sets. I'm gonna like check it out and just gonna say Shrek is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It counts. I'm I'm not mad at it. I would say it counts. Alright, so I have a few different answers to this question. And they're more folk tales. One of them is a fairy tale by classic definition. When I was growing up, my favorite stories would be about Juan Bobo, who is a Puerto Rican uh, character who is just kind of a himbo, as you would say these days. But back then, it was a very pioneering concept where he's just a very sweet kid who 
doesn't really understand very much of what's going on. And one of his like totemic items, I suppose you could call it, is a uh, a sausage that he carries around his that he carries around on his shoulder, and he can always take a bite out of it, and it never runs out. <laughs> and he just like does a whole bunch of silly, funny stuff, pretty much. And I really love those stories growing up. In terms of other folk folk stories that I like, I really enjoy the Kyohime story, which is the oldest extant uh, no play. Uh, That's a folk story about a Japanese maiden who is seduced by a monk. And when he betrays her, she's so enraged that she calls out to the gods for assistance. They transform her into a dragon, and then she melts a bell around him. And I think that's sick. It's actually one of my tattoos. Uh, I have two full sleeves oh, tattoos, and one of them cool. is the Kyohime story. Yeah, the that other one, awesome. and and my last one, which is I guess most traditionally a fairy tale, is I really like Blackbeard, uh, Bluebeard, rather, because I am a villain fucker. <laughs> <laughs> And I just think it's a neat story, and I always like when I see that setup. In it's something that has like such a cool setup that you can put in so many different places. It can go so many different ways. I just I like the potential of the story, and I like the tension that's in it from the start. So yeah, that that's what I'd go with. That's. That's fantastic. I'm glad you had some good examples. The never-ending sausage sounds great right about now. I have not had dinner yet. I didn't have a chance <laughs> to have dinner before this started. And I could go for a never-ending sausage right about now. Yeah, I loved that so much when I was a kid because we grew up fairly poor. And the idea of a never-ending sausage, I was just like, oh my god, what I would do with a never-ending sausage. <laughs> he uses it as a weapon sometimes. I, yeah, I mean, if you have a sausage big enough to hold over your shoulder, you might as well. Right? (laughs) Yeah. So, no, those are some really good suggestions. I love the tattoo. I I just, um, and I've been sharing pictures of it everywhere, so I've been kind of showing off, but I just finished my magic tattoo, and um, that was almost 25 hours to have my whole arm done. Oh shit, nice. So I was uh I'm quite happy that's finally finished. My magic tattoo is a lot smaller. I just have Avison's collar. Uh but I've been thinking about getting one with Sigarda though. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got we got Innistrad remastered coming. Oh, you best believe I'm gonna be buying tons of those packs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, we we just had a we had a conversation last week about all the uh, all the product announcements, and I was fangirling so hard over Final Fantasy. It's going to be incredible. I don't know too much about what's coming up in the pipeline, but I know that the people who are involved with the Final Fantasy set are really excited about it, and it means an awful lot to them. So yeah, I'm sure um, it's going to be fucking insane. Can't wait. I know it's a it's a year and a half away, but uh I'm I'm so sold already and there's a <laughs> bunch of awesome stuff coming between here and there. But but we're here to talk about Eldraine, you know, the, the current the current hotness. <laughs> Let's eld some rains. Yeah. 
So this is the first set kicking off a whole new story arc, the Omen Path arc, as uh, we were told. Um, it's the first part of a three-year story arc, as we found out. They're uh, three-year arc, uh, major arc split into three one-year subcomponents. Um, and this is our first story in this uh, new arc. So you get to kick the whole thing off. Yeah, I do. What an honor to be the one who ended the last one and then starts this one. <laughs> uh, it uh, Honestly, it's very, very special. And I think that being able to introduce everybody to Kellen especially has been an incredible opportunity because Kellen, I, I fell in love with him so much as I was writing him. Yeah, you know, when he was initially presented to me, I'm like, okay, he's he's a kid hero. You know, yeah. We've seen a lot of those. But then as I wrote him, I was like, wait a second. I he's, love this kid. He's such a good boy. If anything happened to him, I would kill anyone in this room and then myself. <laughs> oh, he's he's so precious. Yeah. I, we will be seeing a lot more of Kellen too, so I am very really happy that people like him. Figured we would, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the story starts off with we we start off with uh, the Rowan and Will going to address mm -hmm. some um, some minor uh, rebellion in the ranks. You know, not everybody's going along with this. You know just out of their teens uh king program <laughs> yes there's been some dissension in the ranks and as we know uh rowan and will's father did go on the quest in order to become high king of eldraine as did their stepmother linden so it's very much a case of those two following the rules and then will is kind of claiming the title without having done the requisite you know, pop quiz of what questing beast beast does when it hits the field. A lot of people aren't too keen on that, and I think that there is good reason not to be too keen on it. At the end of the day, we're we're kind of talking about nepotism babies here, uh, no matter how skilled yeah. they may be. So, I think that you know, Eldraine's been through a lot. The twins have been through a lot. Everyone's trying to put the pieces together, and some of them don't fit there anymore. There's just pieces that are gone forever. We lost a lot of the knights from Embereth. We lost almost all of the knights from Loch Twain. And how does the realm continue in the face of that? And as we see, the twins have very different philosophies about that. Yeah, and you know, once again, I'm going to repeat my frequent call for planeswalkers or you know former planeswalkers getting therapy because rowan could really use a therapist rowan uh, i mean will too but <laughs> i i think rowan's in the running for planeswalker or former planeswalker who most needs therapy right now <laughs> yeah girl's got some anger issues I mean, it's not just anger. I, I no, do want to. No, it's not. She has some. She has some major grief issues, and I, I've lost both of my parents in the same <laughs> year, so I, I understand that. Um, didn't lose them to terrible murder machines, but you know, I definitely get the grief aspect and that on top of it. And she's been dealing with a lot of other things too, and just 
wanting to be on her own when she's been tethered to her brother for so long and kind of have her own life beyond that. So there's a lot going on with her. And, and on top of that, her brother is the one who's claimed the throne. Yeah. And that's because he's very slightly older than her, <laughs> like yeah. a few minutes, maybe. And I think one of the things that Rowan is really struggling with here, too, is this sense that Will isn't doing the things that she would do and isn't approaching things in the way that she would approach them. And I think that especially after everything that's happened, she can't imagine taking a gentle approach to any of this because she's so worried about when the next incursion is going to be. Like this Phyrexian invasion for Eldrin came out of nowhere. They weren't involved in this whatsoever. So for Rowan, all of that just happened for no reason. And I think that part of her anger, too, is fear and not yeah. knowing when her life is going to change like that again. And knights on horseback are not a good matchup for biomechanical murder machines. No, they're not. Yeah. The first strike will help you a bit, but uh, they haven't brought horsemanship back. So. No. <laughs> no. And you also introduce a new character here who is just a complete badass, Imidane. Oh, Imidane. Imidane, my sweet. <laughs> yes. I am so happy people like Imidane and that Imidane has her own card because she was such a delight to write and... I love her so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i glad we got to see more of her after the first story because she is, I don't know, I always, anyone with fire powers has always got me interesting and, you know, big, big menacing ladies is definitely my thing. Absolutely. I wanted this to be you know this big intimidating lady but also somebody who has been hurt by the invasion in kind of a similar way that the twins have mm -hmm. imidane lost her arm yeah in the invasion explicitly and even though she's gotten this group of bandits together and is trying to claim kingship over eldraine she as we see in the fight is also pretty full of fear herself and the second that Rowan really pops off, Imidane runs. She yeah. doesn't try to fight it out. And I think that says a lot as to what exactly happened at Castle Embereth to strike fear into the heart of a woman like Imidane. Well, Rowan does split a mountain in half. She does. She yeah. does do that. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's kind of an ongoing thing after this first chapter is that most of the people around Will are terrified of Rowan. Yeah, they are. It's a consistent thing. He brings it up. And even Will himself is scared of her from that moment going forward. And I think that... I think he's kind of scared from her from the end of Strixhaven, even just from the amount of power that she wields at the end of Strixhaven. And I think that that's part of what really starts this rift between them right is that will is has been kind of afraid of her for some time and doesn't really know how to engage with that in a way that's helpful for either of them and rowan's not dumb you know they're both jocks but they're smart jocks they're yeah. scholarship jocks you might even say and 
knowing that her own brother, who's supposed to be, you know, the closest person in the world to her, so much so that they share a spark, is afraid of her, is horrifying to her. And especially in the aftermath of losing her parents, she just wants some place that feels like home again, and she can't find it. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's, I, I definitely feel bad for her as much as I also do like seeing I, I, I like having a, a Rakdos uh, a, a new member of the Rakdos family <laughs> Man, during the Kaladesh stories I was so excited when they were teasing Rakdos Chandra I was like it's yeah. gonna happen it's gonna happen oh. and when it didn't happen, I was so sad. So you know what? I I just realized that in talk in, in talking to you that I've come full circle on that moment in that I got to write the rectosifying of a red walker. Be the change you want to see in the world. That is yeah. that is the lesson. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. We we got that almost moment with Chandra where, you know, we had the whatever diabolical intent or whatever it was mm-hmm. with, with Lily whispering in Chandra's ear. And... Which is the only version of that card that anyone should ever run. Yeah. So the other, and this is also the first story where we introduce Kellen and we get to meet him in his um, sheep herding village far away from everything that happened. Sounds like a well for me an absolutely awful place to live. I don't know. <laughs> so here's a fun fact. My family is from Puerto Rico, obviously, but we have very long running roots there, and we're from a fishing village in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and actually everybody on the fishing village is technically living on my great grandmother's land. Uh, because she was given that land by the U.S. government way back in the day. But it's the sort of place where everybody has tons of farm animals. Everyone knows everyone. Uh, I can just wander from house to house, and it's fine. There's like one bodega, and that's kind of it. (laughs) But a lot of the feelings that I had about that fishing village show up in writing about Orangeshire. Just a sleepy town that's far away from everything, where you kind of have to really try if you want to get news. Yeah, it's like even the thought of the invasion is like, oh, I guess something happened out in the wider world. It's like not even the Frexians bothered coming here; it's just sheep. You know, it's. But this is where you this is where you find people like Kellen to go off on adventures because they need to get out of there. Exactly. And um I mean we do see the bad side of that too, with the boys who are teasing Kellen and harassing him and throwing iron nails at him. Yeah, because... that sounds so familiar for me growing up in a small town. Yeah, it's uh you know, I left my family's village when I was fairly young, but you know, I have some hesitancies about going back because I'm extremely queer and I'm covered in tattoos and, you know, I'm I'm this big city person now. And yeah. if I were to go back, what would that be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel very much the same way about 
going back to where I came from, and it would be kind of kind of similar. But so we do get to meet him, and he has a really great loving family. Uh, stepfather, um, mom doesn't tell him too much, but yeah, he gets you know supposedly he's fae blooded and has a fae father and wants to learn more about it and just kind of this is what starts him off on his whole adventures he gets uh he meets Talion the fake king who says hey, you can go to go defeat some witches for me and I'll tell you who your dad is it's a nice trade right it's a very straightforward bargain which is always what you can expect from the fae yeah Kellen and his family were a lot of fun to write, and just to imagine, I really wanted to have a situation where his stepfather was fully cognizant of his role as a stepfather, but also very invested in Kellen as if he was his own child. And his mother you know, has been open with him about all of this, and they both really, really love their son. But I also didn't want to shy away from the fact that, you know... Kellen's heritage is something that he does have to deal with and all of the love that he's receiving from his parents isn't enough to answer the questions that he still has and for a lot of adoptees that I've known in my life they've had a similar situation where no matter how much you know their family loves them they do still have these questions and it's okay to have those questions and it's okay to want answers to them and you know I, I really wanted to have a setup where the family is still okay after he goes to find these answers. Yeah. And we see that when, you know, coming around at the end, when he returns home, everybody's just really happy to see him. And, you know, hopefully it, it works out best for everybody. I, I think we get kind of moving forward, you know, Rowan, decides to go out on her own and decide, you know, Will's approach to solving the uh, wicked slumber, which is, you know, people just falling asleep and not waking up and magically, you know, slightly problematic when you're probably already have a lot of, you already had a lot of casualties from the war and now people are just falling asleep. That's not going to be very helpful to, dealing with an already unstable society. And it doesn't say, like, Will also has to prove that he's worthy of being High King, which he can't easily do when he hasn't come up with an answer to the wicked slumber. You know, it's the sort of thing that you would expect a good and wise king to be able to wave his sword around a couple times or consult Merlin and it's fixed. But Will, for all of his studies can't find an answer to that and in some senses i think he's more you know focused on trying to keep the realm together and then addressing the wicked slumber and that's also something that is upsetting to rowan because she sees the slumber as the more pressing issue yeah and i think this is very clear and i think it comes out and it has throughout the story with you know 
Will and Rowan through their whole history is you can very clearly see the red-blue split between the two of them where Rowan wants to be out doing something about the problem and Will wants to study the problem and find a solution. Rowan wants to be actually doing something about it. Yeah, she's a very active person. And when you're in a state of grief where your entire foundation has crumbled beneath you, everything you've ever known has changed irrevocably, it's very hard to know what to do. And often the thing that you're going to reach out and try to do is probably going to be the wrong thing. And you're probably going to hurt people that you care about in doing it. But she feels like she needs to. And so she does. Yeah. And then we meet another, another interesting character, Rose. Is that oh, how Royce. you pronounce it? Royce. All right. Yes, Royce is delightful. Uh, people really liked Royce. I was so happy about that. Yeah, we don't get we don't get much of her, but we've got really cool Spider Lady. Um, definitely could use more. I'm always happy to see non-human characters um, get some story time. You know, I would love to write more about Royce. I think she's so cool. Uh, I had this idea of, you know, Rowan stopping by and finding somebody who isn't what she expects. And Royce was kind of born of that. And of this idea of, you know, I wanted somebody kindly who would look after her for a little bit, even if only for the course of an evening. And the idea that even that person isn't what Rowan expects, but it doesn't go badly for her Yeah, is one of the few like positive moments that she has in this arc. There's like two of them and that's one of them. Yeah, it does. You know, things work out well for her and we get to meet a new cool character that I would love to see more of in a future set. And we get a return to return to Eldraine at some point. She can show up in a commander set at some point. I'd be down with that. Like some sort of, I think it would be really cool if she was some sort of, like, equipment-based commander. You know, she makes stuff for people. Yeah. I think that, that would, would be, be sick. Awesome. So, and then we get, you know, we get some more time with Kellen, and he meets our other, uh, you know, another one of our story characters, Ruby, who... Yes. You know, we have our ostensible little red riding hood with a crossbow. It's it's funny because I didn't know she had a crossbow when I was Yeah, <laughs> I know in the story she doesn't have it, but in the in the, the art, art she does, yes. Yeah. Um, if I had known she had a crossbow, I would have written her using it. But I happen to think that her winging a apple at somebody at fucking mock speeds is funnier. Yeah. It, it is definitely uh it is definitely funnier using <laughs> improvised weapon. <laughs> I love I love her art. I kind of wish I wish her card was more at the end of the story arc when she has the giant sword, uh, ice sword. Yeah, the giant ice sword. It's so yeah. cool. <laughs> I, you know, at the end of the story, I feel like Ruby has really come into her own and uh, where she starts the story in a very practical place where I don't know if she really believes in heroes or yeah. any of that. By the end of it, she's definitely become one on her own. And part of her stepping into that role of hero is going, fuck yeah, I want a big sword. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I want one of those anime swords. I, you could call me Cloud Strife. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I was like, this needs to be an equipment. That can go in the equipment commander deck. I think so, too. It it can be all about the various adventures that happened on the way to Eldraine. Because this really is an adventure story for both of them. It resolves differently, but both of them are going on a quest. And honestly, that was one of the most rewarding things about this set is the kind of mirrored narratives between Rowan and Kellen where they're both venturing out to go find something about themselves. I thought it was really cool how it ties into like a lot of Arthurian stories and a lot of folk stories. They're both leaving home in search of something else. Yeah. I. It's, it's a fun adventure for both of them. They're each doing their own thing. You know, Ruby starts off just wanting to find her brother, which, and you know, resolves pretty quickly in the story. You know, that's over and done, you know, within the same uh, chapter she's introduced. It's like, oh, solved. But then she decides to tag along with Kellen because he's got this really cool quest. That, you know, it's... Uh, just yeah first you know we kind of come out of the, the second story with you know first witch gets cooked we have we have the witch uh, about to cook <laughs> imidine and gets finding imidine and the uh first witch kellen racking up his first kill <laughs> yeah he does just straight up kill her <laughs> yeah which is it, it feels a little brutal but it's also in keeping with fairy tales i mean a lot of fairy tales are extremely brutal when you look back at them, and I think that this one is no exception. And I mean, given the circumstances, she was about to literally eat someone. So I think yeah, we can forgive him for this she one. She deserved it. Uh, she totally did. And we have Imidane here again. Um, one of the archetypes that I really wanted to draw on for Imidane is this fallen knight. We see that a bit in stories like Gawain and the Green Knight, where Gawain just kind of fucks off for a little bit, and he's not sure what it means to be a knight anymore. He's kind of faltering, and the whole story is about that humanity and those errors that you make in terms of you know pursuing a chivalric ideal. And Imidane is here as in like the second or third stop of her failing journey <laughs> before she remembers what it's like to be a real knight, so to mm-hmm. speak. So having her as a touch point throughout and having her going on her own arc kind of outside of the realms of the story was important to me because we needed to have, a, you know, a yardstick by which we can measure other people's progress. In this case, you know, Kellen's progress because he has done something heroic here, but he also, in some senses, has done something anyone would have done in the same circumstances. Yeah. So... You know, Ruby already finishes her little quest, finds Peter, her brother, and like, okay, I'm going to just tag along with you now, Kellen. Your quest is pretty cool. Let's go off some more witches. Mm-hmm. And they set off to continue their quest. And then we get this special goose episode. I, there was yes. so much talk about the goose on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. Wilds of Eldraine is actually... Well, it's only five episodes, but each of those episodes is longer than it normally is for a magic story of five episodes. And 
at a certain point we considered cutting the goose. And then we just looked at each other. We're like, we can't cut the goose episode. I'm it's, glad you didn't cut the goose. It's it's too happy. It sparks too much joy. <laughs> so even though it's not, you know, like super vital to the plot, it's important to have these moments. And I think these moments are part of why people have come to like Kellen so much, too, is this kid seeing a gigantic goose and shouting, run for your lives. And the but goose also- just wants to swallow him. That's all the goose wants to do. The goose has tasted blood. Geese are terrifying. Yeah. I I do not fuck with geese. I respect them. But respectfully, if I see a goose somewhere, I am going to not be where the goose is. Yeah. That is... There's this multi-headed menace of a goose. Totally uh, villain, of the, villain of the whole storyline. <laughs> And Bjorix, yeah, Al Bjorix, yes. He's a, yeah. very much a villain. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do like that we're getting the double se- doubling season uh, reprint with the monster goose. It's it's what it deserves. That card is a yeah. monster as well. Yeah. It's never done anything fair, ever. It's it's so funny, though, because it's one of the most green cards out there, if you ask Oh, yeah, me. it is. And I, I love it for that, you know, like I, I have this friend in my tabletop group who plays like nothing but green and doubling season is like in every fucking one of this man's decks. And it just sparks so much joy for him every time he plays it. And that's what magic is all about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. Yeah. And then I, I was playing on stream last weekend and somebody made like 30 tokens with it in one turn and even though i removed it it was too late it just yep you can't get rid of it yeah got rid of it the first chance i could and it was already too late (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's just so much value with that card that it's it's just such a fucking brick shit house of a card man but yeah it is so green, you just can't. It's one of the quintessential green cards to me, too. It's one of those ones where I, I think about that when I think about the color. It's like you know, ghostly prison or something for white effects. Yeah. I think about those a lot as well. Lightning bolt in red and counterspell in blue. Yeah. I think, yeah, doubling in green is just, you know, it's a perfect fit. And now we have we have doubling goose. <laughs> Goosening season. Goosening season. Oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about that either. <laughs> I went to St. Louis once for a book promo event, and I decided to kill some time before I had to do the event by going to the St. Louis Zoo and the St. Louis Museum, which are right next to each other. When I was approaching, I think it was like the cafeteria area of the zoo, there was a goose in my path. And I just turned and walked the fuck away. (laughs) I was really hungry, but I was like, nope, I'm not doing this. That goose is the size that I am. I'm not going to win that fight. (laughs) For those of you who have uh, never met me, I am very small. I'm four feet nine. So I am brave enough to admit I would probably lose a fight to a goose. You know, I can admit that about myself. 
I am six foot and I'm not I'm not so keen on my chances against the goose either. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so story three we also get we get our uh you know reveal that Ashiok's involved somehow with the you know and uh Rowan's aunt Arietta is you know, behind the curse, or at least partially involved with it, and it was like, hey, Rowan, how don't you, you come join me? Everybody can have a peaceful nap. Wouldn't you <laughs> like a nap? It's She would like a nap, but even more than she a would. nap, she would like to be accepted, and Ariet is, like, yeah. one of two characters, Royce being the other, yeah. who isn't afraid of Rowan in the course of this story, and is just like, yeah, it shit sucks, don't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Ron's like, yeah, shit does suck. Yeah. <laughs> and they can proceed on that. And I think that, you know, with Rowan being where she is, she's so vulnerable. And having somebody who understands her even in the smallest, most far off way, it's so much what she was craving that she can't help but just fall into it fully. And we see later that she's even struggling with some of the magic techniques that it involves because, you know, putting people to sleep isn't exactly a very red thing to do. It's not something that Rowan has explicitly practiced for, but she wants to learn because she wants to try and enforce this order and keep people safe and make sure that no one ever hurts her, her realm, the people that she cares about ever again. And she wants to learn more from her aunt, who is at this point, the only member of her family uh, aside the children, the literal children who, you know, that she has left. Yeah. It's, you know, she definitely feels like somebody's listening to her for, I think the first time in this whole story, if not the first time in a while, because it's the whole Strixhaven arc as well she doesn't feel like Will's listening to her at all and that's exactly where a lot of this is coming from too this frustration that she keeps on seeing a way forward and that nobody wants to try doing things her way until it's too late (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know one thing and I know it's not something you can answer but we we don't get a, a clear understanding throughout the story at all what Ashiok's actually getting out of this whole deal or what what their what their benefit is behind here and you know even at the end of the story it's kind of left open that you know he's he they're they're working with Ariat for some reason and we don't know why but it's very mysterious as to what they're after or what they're getting out of it and it's kind of been the case with Ashiok the whole the whole time they've been in the story well they, you know the last the last two big times they were in the story before march of the machines their story never got finished because it got cut short because uh the comic books and the original theros block um got cut short before they finished so we never got to see what happened with their storyline there and then we never got the story for Theros Beyond Death. So Ashiok's <laughs> always kind of gotten the short end of the stick with story. Yeah. I mean, it was fun to write Ashiok here. And I think that yeah. we do need to take a moment of appreciation for the fact that Ashiok poking around in Elish Noin's head inadvertently yes. saved the multiverse. Yes. 
So what does Ashiok get out of that? The ability to continue living. <laughs> but what is Ashiok doing on Eldraine in particular? I think that once they heard about the, you know, wicked slumber, and this is all just pure speculation on my part. Yeah, it's kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet to them, really. Yeah. So even though Ariet is making sure that a lot of these people are having pleasant dreams, there's certainly a lot of nightmares going on as well. And I think Ashiok is kind of there for the smorgasbord aspect of it. It's it's an easy gig, you know, just teaching Ariet how to manage all of these sleepers. And in exchange for that, they get all, all you can eat. Yeah. All you can eat buffet. I'm sure Ariet tosses them some, you know, people who spoke up about her. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she wants dealt with. And they can just, you know, do all the nightmare torment that they want there. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up Troyan uh, in this one because it's our first instance where we get to see a. Uh, non-planar native uh show up non-planar native non-planeswalker just show up in another story it's pretty cool try and try and fun i what i like about him is that he's a very we don't know that much about him except that he set up his little adventuring booth and that he was civic in some way and i kind of dig that you know there's a lot of stories that we can tell about him in the future but for now, I think it's nice that there's just this weird little guy on L train. Yeah. I, I like that we got, you know, this weird Ravnikin hanging out on L Drain. You know. I, I'm bummed we didn't get a Fibblethip card. Uh I said he should be <laughs> he should be in every set from now on, now that the omen paths are open. There should just be a Fibblethip. You know what I would insert. love if Fibblethip yeah. was hidden in the art of yeah. every set? From this yeah, arc somewhere, going somewhere in the art or something. Just they need to get him in every set now. Him and the most cursed planeswalker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that guy still has his spark. <laughs> I think it's kind of funnier if he does. Yeah, it would be funnier. <laughs> oh. Someday we'll get a card and a name for him. Someday. The deep lore. Yeah. I I'm just one of my favorite characters. Um, so yeah, we get the giant adventure. They get to ask the question in the mirror. They find out their last witch is in a frozen castle. Or their next witch is in a frozen castle. So <laughs> you're, you're, you're uh, sorry, your princess is in another castle, but in this case, it's a witch. And it's really, really cold. Uh, so we get to play, we get to go see Elsa there. We get to see Hilda. Yeah. Um, who I really enjoy the artwork for. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So, uh, more fun facts. Hilda reminded me a lot when I was writing her of an RPG character that I had who kind of met a similar fate where she became this ice witch queen. But to do that, she had to forsake basically all of her humanity and all of her connections with people. So when I was writing Hilda, I was very much thinking of her. And like when when I saw the art, I was just like, oh, she looks so awesome, too. She kind of looks like the lead singer within Temptation. I don't know if you listen to that. 
they're a they're a Dutch band, a rock band. They started off as a goth rock band. I won't go into it, but she does look like Sharon Denadel, and it's very funny to me. Yeah. So rather than having to actually fight her, she just straight up surrenders to them after they push through the you know the cold long enough, and they're basically like, "We're not going to get up. We're going to freeze to death." And she's like, "I'm not going to be responsible for freezing two kids to death." So. And the thing is that Hilda's been by herself for so long that she's kind of forgotten what friendship is like. And she's let herself become cool and deadened to a lot of feelings. And to see Ruby persisting, even though she knows it's impossible, and for the sake of somebody, like, she doesn't have any reason to keep going. It's optional for her, entirely optional. And it's just... It was such a sweet moment to write Hilda realizing that this isn't the life that she wants to live anymore. Yeah. Uh, she gives up her ice crown, which lets Kellen take back to Talion as proof of defeating the sec- you know, second witch, and they find out where the last one is, and Captain Arvell, which they all get to go fight. And then we get to have this giant melee between the sleepers by area and Rowan versus Will and everybody uh, then shows up again. It's it just everybody shows up to fight in the courtyard. And it you might even call it a ballroom blitz. <laughs> <laughs> We've been saving that one. Haven't I might have been. yes the ballroom blitz occurs and uh we have in the middle of all of that rowan and will having their confrontation scene against one another where all of these issues really come to a head because will has gone and done exactly what he said he would he's united a whole bunch of people from across the realms and he's inspired imidane and talked things out with her and imidane after having gone through her own arc has come to realize that there's value in unity. She's seen that in Kellen and Ruby's relationship, and now she's kind of pursuing it herself with Will. And they have this confrontation where Rowan's trying to explain where she is and why she's so hurt, and Will's trying to explain that, you know, he figured it out and everything's going to be okay. And they're just not seeing eye to eye. They're kind of talking around each other and just talking at odds and then of course we have will saying that he doesn't know her anymore and that's really the final nail for rowan in the coffin of their relationship because once he says that she just can't fathom talking to him on the same level anymore yeah and they you know They've been fighting each other since they were little kids. So they're, you know, they know all of each other's moves and they don't, they definitely magically are pretty well matched against each other. Like I said earlier, it's kind of their perfect red blue counterbalance to each other. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what's going to happen. And 
Will has at this point seen the kind of power that Rowan can muster herself. And he doesn't try to outdo her in that regard. He just tries to catch her by surprise or endure or, you know, pin her down in a way that will deny her access to those things, which is, I think, an important aspect of the fight as well. And of course, Rowan is trying to be so aggressive as to not let him get the chance to do any of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you really get to the, you have like the one line from her at power is the only thing that matters. And that is like, you know, just so black. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's an echo of what Ariat said earlier is that power is what has helped, helped her get to where she is and has had her, you know, keep her family safe for all of this time and let her live a life of her own determination is that power and ambition. And I think that, you know, Rowan is an interesting character because she's interacted as somebody like Liliana before. Although a Liliana who's at a very different point in her life, but Liliana is somebody who has kind of pinned her entire life on ambition and is only just now starting to turn over a new leaf and try to figure out what her life is going to be now that she's kind of secured it for herself at last. Rowan's at the exact opposite point of that, where, you know, she had a fairly good family life and now she's lost it all. And she feels like she needs that power in order to keep herself safe. Yeah. It's... And she takes off, you know, pretty much at the end. Yeah. She's she's told to take off. She doesn't yeah, want to. She does not want to, but... Yeah, if, it, if it was up to Rowan, she probably would have kept fighting. But I think that one of the main things that... There's two things there. There's first Ariat telling her you need to take off and we'll, we'll regroup later. This isn't the end. Yeah. And there's also this idea that if she does lose this fight, and if she gets taken in, so to speak, if she gets jailed, or if Will takes her hostage, whatever you want to call it, takes her in for justice, she becomes somebody that Will forgave, or Will shame. Yeah, she seems more concerned about being forgiven than she does about the fact that she's the one who betrayed her brother. Because I don't think she thinks yeah. of it as betrayal, necessarily. Yeah. No, I don't think she does. She thinks she's, you know, she's doing the right thing. But What she's horrified at there is not necessarily the idea of being forgiven, because she doesn't really think that Will can forgive her because he doesn't understand her, right? They're not on operating on the same level. But she hates the idea of being reduced to the sister that Will mm-hmm. forgave in the public eye. Right. And after that, we get the... Kellen decides not to cash in his favor for taking out the three witches. He decides to just go home and ask Mom. Yeah, because he's a good boy, and he plays by good boy rules, and Talia doesn't. (laughs) So... Kellen decides that he'll take his ball and he'll go home, (laughs) which is quite literally what he does. He asks his mom about it instead. And we find out that his dad is none other than Oko. 
What? Stupid, sexy Oko. Yeah. Oh. Boy, they, uh, it was like, yeah, if you're going to go for a fae, you might as well go go for the the one that, the one that's well known for causing problems on Eldraine. He certainly is. And I think that this relationship does make a lot of what he did in Eldraine even more interesting to me. Yeah. Because he, he had this woman that he clearly cared a lot about. And part of the reason that he despised Eldraine was because of this system of order that they had in place. And that system was something that inflicted harm on Callan's mother because she had been studying to become a witch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was, you know, something that he seemed to be upset about. You know, the one thing that I, I was like, oh, you know, it didn't quite you know, make sense in the retrospective. Like he was in, in the first book, he was like looking for info on Eldraine when it seemed like someone had spent a lot of time there would know more about that. But you know, that easily kind of be explained by the fact that, you know, obviously the story was written later uh, and that I'm sure that this idea came up much later, you know, wasn't anything like that planned in advance. We try to make the pieces fit as best we can. Yeah. And when you're working with this, you know, it worked out pretty good. But yeah, I thought that was that was a really cool touch. I, I would have found it hilarious if Kellen had a card as broken as Oko's was and got banned in multiple formats. But his card seems just, just nice. He's fun. I mean, he's a Boris commander. I'm actually yeah. I'm building a Kellen deck right now, and yeah, it's Sir Gwyn is probably my favorite in terms of Voltron decks, because I cannot exist without Black. But oh, Helen is still bad, pretty fun. It's too bad Hobbs isn't on to talk about his Sir Gwyn deck. Oh, Hobbs has a Gwyn deck? Yeah, well, his, his daughter's name is Gwen, so he has, a, he has a Sir Gwyn deck, and uh, it's brutal. It's very brutal. That armored Skyhunter? Oh, man. Armored Skyhunter in Sir Gwyn is just such good tech. I, I, every time I draw that card, I'm like, oh, it's it's all over for you guys now. Yeah. So yeah, uh, he has an, a a really awesome Sir Gwyn deck. I'll have to ask him about it. See his list. Yeah. Stompy, stompy. Uh... What? What I love All about right. my Sir Gwyn deck, too, is that it's also it's the most brain-off deck I own. <laughs> I don't have to worry you about anything. Those. You do have I to have those. Play equipment, turn knight sideways. That's yeah. all I do. <laughs> you know, that's my Toski deck. I just play creatures, and then I cast Overrun. And... <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, I, I, have, I have all these squirrels that draw me cards when they deal damage, and then when I have enough squirrels i make them big and that's it Uh, easy game plan (laughs) all right so we have some questions that were sent in uh on twitter and our discord you got some time to answer some yeah of course a little long but no i'm fine hit me all right what have we got so 
from Space Bellerin, uh, what would you want as a reward for completing a magical quest? That's a good question. What would I want as a reward? I would want a nice house that I didn't have to pay taxes on in an area of my choosing that me and my family could live in. That That's all I want. <laughs> it's a very boring answer. But having just a place to be and not having to worry about that, I think would be a very powerful reward for me personally. <laughs> that is a nice reward. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Radley. Uh, what is Lydia Tarr's color identity? Uh, Chris RD19. <laughs> All right. So if you haven't seen the incredible Kate Blanchett movie Tar, you should. <laughs> so obviously when we're dealing with Lydia Tarr, we're dealing with a composer. The Lydia Tarr theme deck, which I've built, yes, I've built up one already, uses Zephy as a stand-in for Lydia. And I think that is it would be a strong component. However, as demonstrated repeatedly in the movie, Lydia is nothing if not horrifically ambitious to the detriment of everyone around her. So I think that the truest to Lydia Tarr would be Grixis. All right. Is there a magic character you'd like to write that you haven't gotten a chance to yet from Interesting MTG? Liliana Vess. <laughs> yeah. That's uh Liliana is my favorite magic card. I've got magic character rather. I've got the gigantic Liliana statue that my partner's got me as an anniversary present one year. Um I Liliana is a large reason why I got into magic, her and Avison both. I would also have loved to have written something about Avison, but obviously that's kind of flown the coop now, hasn't yeah. it? <laughs> But uh, Liliana is one that I'm constantly begging the magic story team to let me write. I wrote I her for a small bit in March of the Machine, but I'd love to yeah, have her as a central character. Only, yeah, she only had a tiny little cameo. Which uh, MTG character should uh, fall through an omen path and go on an adventure with Kellen from Not Quotable? Uh, who would go on an adventure with Kellen? You know what I want to see? I want to see Kellen and Angrath go on an adventure. <laughs> because he's such a dad. And I feel like yeah. Kellen has a lot of conflicting feelings about dads right now. So he could really use somebody like that. And I think it's either him or Nashi, I think I would want to see him go Nashi on an adventure with. Nashi could definitely use some time in, you know, away with a good... And I think that, like, Kellen being so bright and happy at but not, you know, unseeing. I think Kelly yeah. realize that there's a lot going on there with Nashi. But I think that they could help each other. And I think that they'd be very good friends. Right. Uh, what other planeswalker would you like to see or write the child of from JC Bunch of Numbers? It's, it's probably cheating just to say Liliana again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just imagine Liliana's child (laughs) I mean I think that would be a cool thing to explore but let's see walkers who can have I'm trying to think who would be cool to see a kid of I feel like Ral's kid being a complete opposite to him would be very fun to write Oh, because Ralph's so fucking chaotic, and Tomic is very you know by the book, and I think it would be funny if they had like a green aligned child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like some little gruel shit heel. <laughs> <laughs> no, dads, I hate technology. technology. <laughs> I hate technology. I hate 
the law. I'm gonna go break things. Yeah, fucking anarcho capitalist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Rowell 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 would be awesome. Yeah. Assuming they're all safe after the invasion, which of the five Ikoria apexes would you like to bond with? Oh, uh, I don't even have to think about that. That's snap decks. Easy. <laughs> I really like cats. I think cats yeah. are cool. I'm horrifically allergic to them. I especially like monster cats in fiction and folklore. And uh, icing on the cake here is that I play a lot of Mardu as evidenced by me just talking about Sir Gwyn a bunch. So it's Snapdax, and it's not even close. <laughs> what has been the biggest challenge or the most rewarding aspect of writing magic story chapters from Spooky Skeleton? So the most rewarding aspect of it is definitely, well, there's two things here. There's one, being able to contribute something to magic, which has contributed so much to my life. And there's also seeing the way that people react to the stories and I actually got a comment the other day that somebody was just starting Magic Story with Wilds of Eldraine, and it put me into this place of remembering when I was just starting Magic, and I read the story about the Geist of St. Traft, and being able to be that person and that entry point for somebody meant so much to me. But also seeing all of the stuff that people do with the story, talking to people who are passionate about it has been really rewarding. In terms of challenging, I mean, there's always, there's always, you know, going to be people who misinterpret things that you write. And sometimes it can be a little tricky when you know in your head how something is supposed to play off and it doesn't quite go the way that you expect. But even within that, there's space to learn and to kind of do some reflection about your writing and refine the things that you want to bring forward and how you approach certain ideas. What are some uncommon Wilds of Eldraine legends you'd love to expand the lore of from Games and Cats? Oh, what a lovely name. Let's see. I was looking through Eldraine cards earlier today. Obviously, Sir Ginger deserves a whole story because I think we all want to see that. We all so want to we know what's going on there. We have a related question. We, we, let's go ahead and get to this one now. If you were to do a side story with Sir Ginger, how would it go from uh, Lev Dev? I think... Now, obviously, Sir Ginger has some sort of grudge against planeswalkers, right? I think that we need to delve into that. We need to figure out which walker it was, right? Whether this was somebody who was eating gingerbread people before Sir Ginger's very eyes and, you know, devoured the village, so to speak. And Sir Ginger is the fucking vengeance-motivated Luke Skywalker who's just lost his family on Tatooine <laughs> and has now taken up arms to seek revenge. I want to find out who that walker was, and I want to see Sir Ginger go on that quest of vengeance, but then we zoom the story out a little bit, and it's just like... You know, a cookie poking at somebody's ankle. I think that's how I would do it. So going back to there, are there other of uh, the uncommon legends that were interesting to you? Um, I think Neva's pretty cool. Like, I, I like a lot of the art for her. And I think that 
there's a lot of spooky stuff you can do with it. We haven't seen all the cards for her archetype, I don't think yet. So I would like to see more of that. I would I would like to know she has some sort of relationship to Ariat as well, because we, we kind mm-hmm. of see that in the archetyping of the story, right? Because Ariat's the wicked stepmother uh, from Snow White, rather, the wicked queen. And Snow White is Neva. It, it's all there. <laughs> So I want to see if they have any kind of relationship is, I think, what I would build out. All right. Uh, At what liberty are you given to create or use side secondary characters when writing Magic Story from Cody Plays? Um, It depends. Um, It depends on the story and it depends on how things land. Obviously, it's a collaborative process and I'm very lucky to have a great team at... the magic story team and we have a very good relationship so if something doesn't work we're pretty good at trying to find either another way to make it work or some way to leave a trace of it within the story but within wilds of eldraine imidane and royce were probably the two that i had the most liberty with imidane was in the story originally, there was this idea that Will would challenge somebody and that he would lose that challenge soundly and that, you know, Rowan would split the mountain into and that character became Imidane. Royce was not in the outline at all. <laughs> oh, I just made that up on the spot. <laughs> but I ended up really liking her. I like this idea of this, you know, spider lady who uses a glamour to get through the rest of the their day and operate with people outside the village but everybody in the village kind of already knows who she is and they're fine with it i think we needed good so to speak fae who um aren't terrorizing people and can live in harmony with them yeah that's awesome last question uh i was particularly curious about the wolf knight being called peter uh again not sure if that was important to the set plot or just a shout out to peter and the wolf yeah it's it's peter and the wolf his name was peter from the start so there's nothing really very much to go into there it's it's peter and the wolf but it's also red riding hood it's kind of both of them in one uh just a mixing of the stories great so that's everything that I have taught. I mean, I could keep talking about the story and the art and the cards and everything for the set for a lot longer, but we've already had you on for quite a while. Uh, really appreciate it. Once again, thank you for coming. Always love having you on the show. Uh, thank you for writing these stories. I enjoy reading them. Of course. Thank you for reading them. And, you know, thank everybody for reading them. I'm always happy to be here, always happy to talk about Magic Story. If you ever see me at any event and want to talk to me about Magic Story, I'm usually pretty open to that. Is it is it plug time? Do I, do I plug things here? Well, I'll start plugging. You know, go read, go read Kay's other work, uh, the Tiger's Daughter and the Rest of the Ascendant series. Uh, very good. Highly recommended. I was reading them while I was getting my tattoo done. Uh, I didn't know yeah. that. How was that? <laughs> it was great. It was very gay. I enjoyed it. it was... It's extremely gay. Yes. Please do buy The Tiger's Daughter, a critically acclaimed novel, and blurbed by none other than Shauna McGuire, who wrote the main story for All Will Be One, as well as the only Hugo-nominated magic story, uh, Tangles. 
Sean had actually blurbed my debut novel and then we ended up working on magic together, which is very fun. And, you know, it's, it's very nice to be friends now, <laughs> but you know, Tiger Starter is very close to earning out. And the more people that buy it, the closer I am to being able to buy a bacon, egg and cheese with my royalty money. And I would really love to be able to do that. It would make me so happy. I would not shut up about it on Twitter. So please, pretty please buy the Tiger's Daughter and do not buy it secondhand if possible. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. Trust me. If you if you like really good queer fantasy, it's fantastic. If Tarkir is your favorite block, if you like oh, sword yeah, duels, especially, yes. yeah. If you like sword duels, if you like Revolutionary Girl Lutena, if you like old Chanbara movies, please check it out. Yeah. Great. Anything else you want to plug? Yes. So on top of writing for Magic the Gathering, I also wrote a short story for uh, Lucasfilm. And that is included in From a Certain Point of View, Return of the Jedi, which will probably be out by the time that you're hearing this because it releases on August 22nd. So it's about to come out. Please check it out. It's awesome. It's got works by not just me, but 40 other authors uh, centering on side characters from Return of the Jedi. There's a whole lot in there. Pretty much if you're even vaguely a Star Wars fan, there will be something in there that you adore. I just I know you will. My short story is about the guy that Luke force kicks. Uh, if you wanted to know how much of a Star Wars nerd I am, he was the guy that I was like, oh, yes. I might only have one chance to write a Star Wars story. <laughs> this is who I'm going for. <laughs> oh, okay, I was just going to ask you, how did it, how was it to write a Star Wars story? But uh, I think we got your answer. <laughs> it was incredible. It was honestly a dream come true. When I started writing fiction, it was pie in the sky to be like, I want to write for star wars and magic the gathering and here i am <laughs> doing both of those things so it, it means a lot to me and i would very much appreciate if you checked it check them both out awesome well thanks again and i hope you have a great night yeah have a great night and that's our show for today you can find all of the hosts on twitter for now hobbs can be found at hobbs q tay can be found at Taya transcends and Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to the Goblin Lord Pod on Twitter, or email us at goblinlordpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, our link tree can be found on our Twitter account and in the description of today's show. This has everything from various discount codes to the link for our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vintergotten, who can be found at Vintergotten at Bandcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.